You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? You're listening to the Good Pop Culture Club episode 175. Whew. That's a milestone, right? Sure, yes. <laughs> it's a nice round number, a quarter. Um one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, seven, seven quarters of <laughs> yes. podcasting. I'm anyways. My name is Marvin Yeah, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets through our days. We have our once in future professional Asian American Jess Jew. Hello, Jess. Marvin. I am a husk of a woman. I'm not feeling great today, but you know, the pod must go on and I'm I'm I would not miss <laughs> full having our full discussion about Silent Night, the John Woo film, uh, for anything. But if I am a little more sedated than usual, please know it's not the movie, because this movie is Many things, but today <laughs> it is not. Mm-hmm. Well, we appreciate your service, Jess. Thanks for joining us in your diminished state. <laughs> <laughs> Which is still like too much for most people, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> also joining us, our most professional of culture editors, Han Win. Hey, hey, Han. How are you feeling <laughs> today? Uh, There's a I flu mean, going around, so I hope you're, you guys are staying oh, healthy. Oh God! Is it the flu? I I think it's. I thought it was just my period, which there, sounds like yeah. a bit, but it's not. Yeah, there's also um, some sort of respiratory cough that's going around. That's neither COVID or RSV. Oh good. Um, yeah, and uh, I don't know. I've been having some stomach problems, so we'll see how. <laughs> oh, that's me going. too. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Besides could, my sciatica, yeah. which is going comes and goes. Um, yeah. So I'm just like, oh yeah, just give me old age, all of it. Um. But yeah, uh, I mean, here's the other thing. RIP today, uh, we found out that Norman Lear died. So that was actually why I was late to this podcast was because I was editing a story. Um, RIP Norman Lear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, significant day for TV. He was 101. So he had enough of a life. I yeah. Want to say. And, you know, to live that long and for He's all spry. I the very spry. And for what I've heard and known, like, no like terrible skeletons coming out of the closet like well he had, saying- he had one sort of tarnished uh area area of his producing career i think he learned from it but yeah uh just look up good times and norman lear and eric monty and you shall see the person who did not get as much credit i mean <laughs> so nobody's perfect right in, exactly exactly but at the same time we didn't ignore it and it just it is noteworthy, uh, but I think he did correct later on, but not necessarily correct for that dude. So, anyway, um, honestly, if I had a hundred one year year life and that was my one tarnish, you know, part, I think I would have been still successful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he went out on some good vibes, right? So, yeah, for the most far, part. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're not here to wax poetic about Norman Lear's storied career. <laughs> We're here to talk about another titan <laughs> of entertainment returning to his glory days. John Woo's newest film, Silent Night. And man, was it ever a John Woo film? <laughs> but before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture begins through this week. Uh, Jess, what's popping? This Sunday, I went to the experience, not the movie, the experience that was Renaissance a film by Beyonce. I watched it very deliberately in IMAX. I had to go in the afternoon though, because it is like a three hour movie screening. And I was like, I can't start till late. I'm going to get sleepy. And my goodness, all I've been able to think about is what a privilege it is to live in Beyonce's timeline, like her universe to be Mm. sentient and old enough and at a, at, you know, my own privileged position to have disposable income to spend on her because this woman is a once in a generation talent. Um, and this film is amazing. It's not like just a concert film. It's not just a one on one of her film of uh, the actual concert tour, you know, a film of the tour she did this summer. But we get like these intersections of. Um, you know, behind the scenes about different aspects of her life, about, you know, Beyonce 
actually producing and putting this show together about her and you know the whole like discussion with blue ivy about her performing who is it's crazy because i remember blue ivy like when beyonce was mm-hmm. pregnant and announced she was pregnant <laughs> after doing love on top i was like that that baby in the womb is now 11 <laughs> which is crazy and she is just you know she I, I guess i didn't realize this which shouldn't be surprising but when you really think about it it's just incredible she designed her own show like top to bottom you know she obviously had a you know technical team to like help her execute but she's designing her own set she's designing her own lights she does her own lights like (laughs) that's insane um she's doing this all while bouncing being a mother to three children which she um you know makes a point of talking about what that balance is like and how she's been able to you know trying to navigate that there's very touching scenes of their family there's a section about uncle johnny you know the the one who introduced her to house music and kind of you know inspired her love of fashion and you know like was just such a such an obvious important person in her life and and that is the entryway into what the whole renaissance house album which is you know a music form created originated pioneered by black queer folks and it's just like i can't say enough like you you think like oh how interesting can like a concert film be when Beyonce does it, it's fucking interesting as hell. Like mm. you get like if you thought the edits for Homecoming were cool, like she's taking you through dozens of outfits. Mm. Uh, she's she's mixing like film formats, you know, like sizes. It's just like very visually interesting. Again, it is long, but Beyonce is so protective of herself which i think is totally fair i think she's very smart about what she gives the public because she's been burned so much before and you know especially as a black woman who has been in the public eye since she was like 16 or so even maybe you know technically before that she was singing before that and you know she's just like any crumb beyonce will give us i will take and just to see you know and also like as a type a i'm not a virgo but i do feel like Sometimes they adopted Virgo, like the most Virgo is Virgo that ever Virgo. And as someone who's like also type A perfectionist who, you know, appreciates work, I'm the person who's like always sympathetic to the teacher's pet. Like, yeah, they can be annoying, but like they obviously care more than everyone else. I also was a teacher's pet. So that's, you know, part of the reason I see myself a lot in that. <laughs> and she's just, but she doesn't, she's cool and she's amazing and she's so talented. And I just think with all this praise, we're still not, you know, giving her her enough of her flowers uh, while she is working. And she's Beyonce at this point. She could really phone it in if she wanted. I'm going to be real. A lot of male artists at this point in their careers would phone it the fuck in. Mm -hmm. And Beyonce is not. She's getting better with age. She's getting braver with age. She cares less in a good way with Mm -hmm. age about like what other folks think about her. The film also explores a lot of things like being 40 and what that does to a person and their relationship with the public and the world. <clears throat> and it's just like this, there's just a lot of interesting themes and like what could have been a very simple, straightforward, like concert film. Taylor Swift. Um, yeah, I said it. It's, it's, it, they're very different products. They're very different artists, but like to me, like this is just another area where like Beyonce as like a craft person, a technician an artist is just so, genius and so inventive and so creative and again just blessed to be in her timeline yeah yeah and it's a good point that you make um that uh it's just so like we talk about um stand-up comedy um uh filmed stand-up comedy that sometimes the director's credit is just more of like you know a hat tip they don't really do much except point a camera yes um but and so that also applies to certain concert films um and the you can definitely tell the difference when you know a director's touch <laughs> is added, um, or at least they have a vision, let's say. And so that actually makes me more want to see this in a theater because at first I was like, oh, do I have time? I, it's award season. I have so many things to watch, um, and I definitely wasn't interested in seeing you know the Eras tour on um, on the screen. Maybe once it streams, then I'll just like throw it on, but um, at home. But that. Renaissance sounds interesting to me. Yes. So. She, I mean, she has a voice in everything she does. And it's also like, 
I usually get really annoyed with crowd shots. Like I'm not here to see the crowd, but the way Beyonce interacts, it's, it's, I find it very amusing and very like, uh, you know, there's other people who feel the same way. And it's like a very diverse crowd that she's showing. It's just, everyone's just so like, like they get it. Like, especially if you didn't, weren't able to actually attend the, the tour in person this last summer, I think it's a really fun encapsulation of the energy and the vision she brought. And it ends with a new Beyonce song that is going to, I assume, going to be the first part of Act 2. And that's also very exciting. Mm. Yeah. Sounds good. Um, Don't think I have much to add to that. but uh, (laughs) I get it. It's not for you. That's fine. That's fine. You know, as long as you acknowledge that she's the best doing it right now. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm sure she is. you should she does I think you would appreciate this as like a behind the scenes person. She does have a whole section about the production. She gives a shout out to her crew, her sound, like the whole machine of the tour. And they make like a moment because at one of very famously at one of her concerts, the power went out, the sound went completely out. And they actually show that in the film. And it's it's just like all these like worker bees like <laughs> running around be like, oh my god, oh my god, like the sound went out. What the hell? Yeah, always get to feel represented. I guess. She would thank her crew. She would yes. always mm. remember to thank her crew. <laughs> uh, Han, what's been popping with you? Uh, like many people in America, uh, I have watched May December, which is the latest Todd Haynes uh, movie, but it was re- uh, released on Netflix. So that's why more people are watching a Todd Haynes film than usual. I think. Um, if you're not familiar with him, he did uh, Velvet Goldmine, Carol. Um, Far From Heaven, a lot of just sort of uh, visually interesting um, stories with a lot of character work and uh, a little bit of gray area sometimes. He does also like his age gaps, but not as much as in May, (laughs) December. (laughs) May, December, if you're not aware, it's kind of a fictionalized version of the Mary Kay Letourneau case. Um, but what it what it is is uh, Natalie Portman plays an actress who decides to do research on the real life woman who her name is Gracie. She's played by Julianne Moore, who at age thirty six got together with a thirteen year old boy um, named Joe. Yep. They were working in the same pet store. So Mary Kay Letourneau was a teacher, and she got with her student. So that's this is, even worse. Yeah. So they, that's yeah. So they just put it in a pet store. So they could ha- make jokes about snakes and stuff. Um, but uh, so this is when they are, in, are adults. Um, and Joe uh, is now 36, I believe. So he's now the age where he was predated, <laughs> predated upon. Well, preyed yeah. upon. Yes. Preyed upon um, by the woman who was 36. Um, and Natalie Portman's character, Elizabeth, is also 36. So they're of the same age, but not the same maturity level. Um, and that plays a huge part because as Elizabeth does her research and interviews Gracie about like, what did you go through? What were your feelings? What was your background? Also the stuff you're finding that it's not just she wants to get to know the character. It's kind of like seems to be admiring the character as a person. Um, and so there's a lot of the, you know, you're looking at these racial dynamics, of course, because the real case also had a white woman and a boy of color. Um, he was Samoan. Uh, here, he's played by um, Charles Melton, who is half Korean. Um, and so it, it, you can't ignore those dynamics. It's set in Atlanta, uh, no, Savannah, Georgia. So again, that's <laughs> so the southern racial dynamics there. Um, and it is darkly funny. Todd Haynes definitely knows what he's doing with the weird musical uh, stings and moments. Um, He pulls out the melodrama to comic effect. There's some really uncomfortable, dark comedic moments. Um, And, but, you know, and so a lot of people love this film. I think he is is incredibly well put together. The performances are fantastic. Charles Melton does a great job. Um, Overall, though, was that how I wanted to spend my evening? It kind of made me so like feel kind of like bleh. And I was just like, maybe I should yeah. watch this during the day. So just be aware if you are sensitive like me emotionally, that um, it, it may not be the best thing to watch before bedtime. But um, I think everyone else has been like really uh, reacting favorably towards it. And um, I do think that 
some people may not get it as much. <laughs> um, certain men I've talked to, which is interesting. <laughs> um, but I think there's no denying that it's kind of impactful. So uh, although I'm slightly more mixed upon it, I do think it's good quality. Um, so if that's your jam, maybe check it out. <laughs> Is this yeah. anyone's jam? Like that premise just sounds so. No, some people <laughs> like. It's not. It's, I'm not saying that if uh, if grooming is your jam, that's not it. No, <laughs> you got bigger no. problems. But more yeah, no, of I the, get the. I get like the drama and like the the, the story ex- is like you know it's yeah. it's asking good questions. It's just the premise yeah. itself is just so like it's, who who decides to make a film about this, right? Tom well, Haynes does. Yeah, and also this. We've seen a Mary Kay Letourneau type story before. We've also seen, um, I think FX did a series called A Teacher that was fictionalized, but then they made the boy white. So it's kind of like a remove that aspect. Um, so I think there is always this big question of how could this have happened? And so <laughs> that is one thing that his film does do is there are many hints about like the power dynamics mm. um, there and uh and 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 also the sort of gaslighting that she does because you know all along she's just like he seduced me and i was like mm. <laughs> oh so God. there are so many parts where i was just like uh, i'm sick but uh, but, but like people, i think that is the point it is totally the, the yes. point yes yeah so and that's definitely character that julianne moore has played before and can play very well yeah too. she you know she's worked with todd haynes for uh far from heaven um with his which is sort of his sort of tribute to Douglas Douglas Sirk. Um, Douglas Sirk had gorgeous photography, but also leaned into melodrama, but also like gen- gender and racial um, dynamics that were uncomfortable to um, Far From Heaven was, I think, set in the 50s. So that already tells you right there, like great costumes, not so great social relations. <laughs> um but yeah, so, you know, he's always interesting. But uh, yeah, you just have to know if you're in the mood for that or not. Yeah. And I know that Charles Moulton's been getting awards buzz for his portrayal. So I, that I, is I, kind of the plus that I'm really excited about because he he does a great job because, okay, Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore do a fantastic job. But they're also being the more um, showy characters because they get to say the biting stuff, the the double entendre stuff when it comes to like, um, you know how Southern doublespeak is? You know, like being nice, but you're actually doing a backhand compliment, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So those are like fun, delicious lines. He His character is mainly silent because he is reacting. He's kind of putting up with, he's being the good boy. Um, and so a lot of it is kind of reading his his uh, physical, you know, acting, um, his gestures, his facial, you know, reactions. And, he, you know, I think in interviews he did say that he um, modeled or at least watched in the mood for love, um, Tony Leung, and then also uh, Brokeback Mountain, um, in order to get performances that had maybe less speaking and and being able to sort of convey emotion that way. So I think it's been paying off. He's gotten a few awards. We mentioned the Gotham's, and I think Critics Choice um, recently too. So I, this looks like a good a good path for him. Yeah, excited to see the. Um... <clears throat> Post Riverdale, Charles Melton, yeah, <laughs> career trajectory takeoff. <laughs> Who knew? Look, you know, you got to pay your dues, and Riverdale, it knows what it is, right? It's not like it's supposed to be serious, and it's not supposed to be camp. Um, <laughs> so, and it's it's a show about beautiful people who are often shirtless and somewhat homoerotic. Um, and uh, yeah, so good yeah. times. <laughs> anyway, all right, Marvin. On a more serious note, what's popping with you? I don't know if it's serious. I'm talking about anime <laughs> More again, serious but, than grooming. Um, <laughs> well, then Riverdale. Yeah. Well, what's popping for me is an anime called Free Run Beyond Journey's End. Um, it's another show that I've been following pretty closely this um, this season. And it's a fantasy story following the adventures of an elven mage named Free Run, who at the beginning of the story is returning triumphantly with her party after going on a 10-year quest to defeat the Demon Lord. And during the celebration, her and her comrades, um, they observe a meteor shower that occurs every 50 years, and they make a promise to return after 50 years to view it again together. And so um, the party goes their separate ways, and 50 years later, Firin returns and finds that even though she hasn't physically aged herself, um, all of her uh, former teammates have grown old, and... 
after their leader passes away from old age, kind of finds herself with regrets of not spending more time with um, these friends that she's formed bonds with because she didn't realize that time oh, would pass no. so quickly. So sad. Yeah, and so she decides to go on a new adventure, retracing the steps of her former quest um, in order to, you know, learn how to better connect with people while also, I guess, looking back on the journey that she obviously still cherishes. And so um, along the way, she meets up with her former comrades. And there's kind of like a melancholy undertone to all these meetings because, like, in a way, this might be the last time they see each other. Um, This is the bleakest shit. This is it's bleaker not, well, than your child soldiers. No, I kind of get it. Like one of the anime series I liked as a kid, I didn't love the melancholy stuff, but that stuck with me. Um, the outliving all the people you knew that type of thing. <laughs> I don't know why that is yeah. constantly a theme. <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's Both not really that bleak. Um, the show really. Uh, the show really is about fantasy adventure and it's a type of show that is is like catnip to me uh, because it's a show that's more focused around world building uh, than anything else it's about a character that goes on a journey but the journey is what's focused on um, it's kind of like um you know those chapters of lord of the rings that didn't get included in the films this show is basically those chapters you know freeran travels around different towns learns about the local culture maybe solves a problem or two and then moves on and you can learn about this fantasy world and how it works and that's not to say that you know there's no character work too um along the way freeran does pick up a new generation of adventurers um, to team up with and um, their interactions are all really really fun there's a lot of really great character work and there is a character arc an overarching character arc of freeran coming to you know understand more about time and relationships um and overall just it's a type of like cozy adventure fantasy that i'm really down for well i mean the fact that you said it was basically like you know lord of the rings but you know outside of those all those action sequences (laughs) actually made me want want to check this out i think this was on the list that you recommended i check out now that i have country roll so um yeah because the thing is i like the hobbit's the most out of all the Lord of the Rings thing. And I just like it when they have their second breakfast and stuff. So that's kind of what I want from this. So yeah. <laughs> I'll check yeah. It out. And a funny thing about free run as a character is like, she goes along the quest. She, um, her hobby is to collect useless spells and she collects <laughs> oh useless spells the way that I collect. A girl after trivia. my own heart. Just to have love it. that. She's like a hoarder of spells. <laughs> Yeah. So the anime is called Free Run Beyond Journey's End. It's streaming now on Crunchyroll. And I think it's been doing pretty well. It's been consistently rated one of the top shows um, in all the anime polls. So um, definitely check it out. (laughs) I'm happy for you. Even though Uh, this sounds just so sad. (laughs) Adding it to my list. Only the first episode is kind of sad because it's her coming to the realization that she wasted time. That she should have spent more time with her friends instead of like coming back um, after 50 years. But that's kind of her, that's her call to action to go out. and. That's her heroes, that's the inciting incident. (laughs) That's what's popping for this week. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're talking about the Christmas movie of the seasons, Jong-woo's Silent Night. Uh, So stick around. Hello, I'm Phil Yu, and I'm the host of All the Asians on Star Trek, the podcast in which I interview all the Asians on Star Trek. I'm talking to actors, writers, directors, stunt people, background extras. You know, all the Asians on Star Trek. Find out more at alltheasiansonstartrek.com. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Live long and prosper. Hey, Ryan, what's black and white and red all over? I don't know, Ramen. Two nuns having a chainsaw fight? Dude, inappropriate. Come on, man. This is supposed to be a podcast promo for our secret underground podcast, Quarantine Comics. Oh, yes. Quarantine Comics, the weekly comic book club where I, ace reporter Ryan Joe, and I, mild-mannered Ramen Sutton, team up to discuss some of comics' greatest works. Or just some really cool comics that we've been wanting to read. From Alan Moore to Uzumaki. From Arrakis to Zendaya. From Adrian Tomine to Jean Lun Yang. You might not have heard of half the stuff that we're reading. Or the other half is just pop culture superhero stuff. They could just read the books with us, right? Yes, they could do that, but you could also just send us money. No, Ryan, that's not how passion podcast projects work. Why in the hell are we even doing this? 
Uh, I'm sure we'll be back by next week's episode. <clears throat> so, tune in each week to Quarantine Comics. That's qtdcomics.com. Set phasers to fun. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. On this episode, we are discussing Silent Night, the newest action thriller film directed by Zhang Wu, uh, written by Robert Archer Lin and starring um, Joe Kinnaman as Brian Godlock, who after losing his ability to talk after getting injured in a gang-related shooting on Christmas Day where he lost his son, he goes on a quest for revenge, guns blazing, um, during the following Christmas. Um, this film is Zhang Wu's first American action film in 20 years um, since 2003's Paycheck. Um, and man, was it ever a John Woo film? Mm-hmm. Um, what do we all think of Silent Night? Oh boy, where do we start? Um, the Christmas part or the action part? <laughs> Go ahead. It's both. It's both. Um, so for the uninitiated, John Woo is the guy who did Face Off, the Nicolas Cage movie. Um, he did things like Hard Boiled and The Killer, which are you know very well beloved Hong Kong movie classics. And he's the guy who I don't know if he invented it, but he he his signature is the two guns drawn. I'm gonna slide down a banister and shoot you at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I mean Just- John Wu is the director who first put together that what if I made a wuxia kung fu film but with, with guns. guns yes <laughs> and it totally Gun-sha. worked yes does this movie work <laughs> I don't know I really don't know y'all um you know it's it's not peak John Woo in his skill you know I don't I don't know what I think he's been moving he's making making movies in Hong Kong right this is just um, his first China, American though. one um, China in China mostly China he did the two the he did the Red Cliff film I, I was about oh, to say yes. two, but it was released in two parts in the States. He, but it's actually one giant film. Yeah, yes, Asia. I do. He, so he's been working like big epic for a while. And this is like much smaller. It's about one man, one family. There's the 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 bit is that there is no real dialogue in this film. Um, and it's just in that very like broad strokes melodramatic vibe. Is it I'm gonna be straight up. Joel Kinnaman is not Nicolas Cage. This is not <laughs> Silent Night. Is not Face Off. Mm-hmm. Again, I can't say it's a good movie. I can't say it was a good Christmas movie. But did I have a really good time with y'all sitting in that theater watching um, him reminisce about his dead son on an orb? Hundred <laughs> percent, I did. And you know what? Those are just kind of the wide swings that I love to see in like a major film. Just weird shit. I still like to see weird shit. So that that's I'm I'm just so like you, you know when your head says one thing but your heart says another that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, uh overall there were a lot of unintentionally funny moments kind of like that was a choice. Um but then also the melodrama or the things that were supposed to be taken super seriously you're just like uh what um and so i really enjoyed that because like you you know jess was saying you see it with like-minded people you're laughing at the same stuff um that maybe the rest of the audience isn't laughing at why was our theater so quiet by the way i don't Um, know i mean like you're watching a john moo silent night movie where the premise is his voice box gets shot out like it's gonna be funny yeah uh other than that though i will also say the action fell short for me um because you know, it's not like I know he's older, but he doesn't have to do the wuxia gun stuff. He just needs to tell people to do it. And for that, I still felt like, oh, this felt like not even early John Woo, but like kind of just like he kind of didn't care. Um, but we can go a, a, a bit more into that. So for me, it was just kind of like I had a good time. Mainly it was the company. Um, eh, that's about it. <laughs> How about you, Marvin? <laughs> I mean, I feel like we got what we were looking for in that it was indeed a John Woo film, in that it was balls to the wall. Wait, maybe not, balls action to packed, the mid, jingle, like balls, balls to the coffee table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Surrounding an absurd premise, right? Because let's face it, like face off, absurd those are pretty premise was good. Yeah, absurd I like premises, the premise. right? 
And much like Face Off, this also revolves around a father seeking the vengeance for the murder of his son. Um, so, like, I feel like we did get, like, the, the John Woo checklist. Was the story good? Not really. Um, I don't think any of us were going into Silent Night for the story, right? Well, like you were saying, it's like you got the checklist of going in, like the premise and stuff like that. I just don't think the execution was up the level yes. of John Woo, even, yes. you know, early John Woo. So <laughs> for me, that was is, it. My take is that I think this is John Woo trying to be realistic. <laughs> like, because it's a much more grounded, yeah, grounded. movie. Yeah. And I'm saying this again in a movie where <laughs> a forklift pierces two guys in the face and the words... It's a gang war. It's a gang war are uttered. <laughs> but like, I think, you know, he's trying to like really narrow it down to like one man, his family. There's no like FBI. There's like the the police presence is barely there. There's like a very ineffective detective character. I don't know why he's there. <laughs> um, And then, you know, it's like these like very human, like close combat. He gets hurt a lot. Uh, which I know, you know, in a lot of his action movies, they get pretty brutal. But like Joe Kinnaman's character, who I something Godlock Brian, mm-hmm. Brian his Godlock. Name Brian Godlock, yeah. great name in the vein <laughs> of great John Woo protagonist names. You know, he learns to fight, or he teaches himself how to fight in his garage watching YouTube videos. Like, <laughs> like I think this is what John Woo considers grounded um and he gets his ass kicked all the way up you know up, yeah. up to the to the final boss i mean in the spirit of another great probably better christmas action movie die hard which mm-hmm. also has kind of similar conceit where the main character by the end of the film is all like beat all sorts up, of jacked cut up. up yeah he has like um, no shoes on um it is interesting he- to take a look at this as like a progression of john wood because modern action movies say like john wick has a direct lineage to the John Woo films of 20 years ago, right? Because John Woo films were always known for like crazy action that no one else is doing, right? People shooting two guns at the same time, spinning around, jumping off, like like sliding down staircases and like guns blazing. And that's the kind of action that the Wachowskis kind of brought to the mainstream with, with their Matrix films, right? Like they took this very like this thing that John Woo did really well kind of refined it for American audiences, which kind of created the next generation of like Born, Taken, like those action films, which then gets refined by, um, I don't know their names, but the John Wick guys. Chad Staskowski. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I see the lineage, um, but for me, it's like, I don't think for John Woo, you know, he's a Hong Kong filmmaker. He's a little older, but like for me, I don't even think it's like a cultural difference. I just think like the way John Woo sees the world is very weird. Like I think he felt <laughs> and, and I've read some like really good writing about him. You know, um, Jen Yamoto from LA mm-hmm. Times did a pretty great um, story on him. And like, he, you know, he he grew up in like pretty abject poverty, like movies were escape for him. So I really think his like worldview, even just as a person is filtered through movies because like, I don't understand how any like person is like, yeah, we're gonna, we need to design like the, the final boss battle setting. Like let's hang a bunch of Christmas orbs, (laughs) have some candles and like, you know, have some zebra print. It's, it's amazing. Like that's just shit that like a normal person doesn't think about. And I, that's what I love about John Woo. So even when he's not in full form, like his mind, his choices, his aesthetics are just so weird. Um, <laughs> you know, and it, you know, gets some, the highs are amazing. Um, you know, when we talk about, but like that, I am still seeing some of those through lines. Like he loves a candle. He loves a candle lit moment. Um, he loves, yeah. he loves a, he loves a bird. Like, you know, there could have been more birds in this movie. I think we we discussed this. But um, yeah, I think this is just like John. Like he I don't think he's ever been. I don't know if he's been married. Um, I, I don't think he knows what like lo- like a relationship looks like. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying like, you know, what does a John Woo movie look like now that we have like John Wick, which takes John Woo sensibilities, but like adds like groundedness to it. And 
I mean, the one thing you can say about John Woo action is when John Woo characters reload a gun, he makes it look real cool. Yes, like even when it's Joe Kinnaman. The design philosophy of a John Woo action movie is, does it look cool? Yes, and he he prioritizes that over everything else, over <laughs> logic, over sense, over story, and like you know, it's it's a dangerous move because it's like a it's like a bell curve. Like you do it, you you don't go all the way, like it's bad, but you push through, and then it's camp. So you know, I like a running list of that makes absolutely no sense. Like that is logically no, John Woo, that is not what a gang war. Looks yeah, like police a gang war requires police. a second gang to war with. So where's the sick? You know, like this man doesn't know anything about gang wars in Texas. Um, but but then again, he just like pushes through so confidently. We'll say that you, I can't help but admire the audacity in this yeah. case. Another thing that I really admired was the commitment of this film to its bit, which is no spoken dialogue by any main character. They cheat a little bit with TV, radio, and like with TV and radio chatter, but for the, for the most part, there's no lines of actual dialogue by any main character in the entire film. And I don't know if it worked, but I did appreciate that they stuck with it. Yeah, it was it was all right. I mean, I don't think I. It took away from anything. If anything, it kind of made it funnier because the police radio um, conversations were ridiculous. <laughs> like the "It's a gang war! It's a gang war!" There are some gang bangers right war. here, or uh, <laughs> or just randomly a DJ will tell you what the date is because that you need that period. Of, you know, if, if we're not going to show you the calendar that tells you that he will kill them on Christmas Eve, you will need other indicators of time. I so, did uh, absolutely love the character, yeah. the the calendar and, it was and great. the countdown with the like meditation balls. But I do feel like that whole first section was like, it, it's a very unevenly paced movie. Like there's a small action scene in the beginning. And then he makes us go through ostensibly what he thinks is like character work. <laughs> and then we get like, you know, the, the the action sequence in the third act, but it's like, if you're going to make it this way all the way for the third act, like, it better be insane, like, amazing. And I was just like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. yeah. I like the humor of the training sequences, but he could have gone way more over the top and I would have enjoyed it better. Um, yeah. So. It kind of felt like the first third of the film should have just been a montage. Like, we got the basic beats. Yeah, like, um, let's one thing get John to Woo the doesn't fighting. Do, one thing John Woo doesn't do is subtlety. So we yeah. have to know... <laughs> Not only that his son is dead, but how much but he his, loved his son. How much he loved his son, which is totally normal. You totally just stroke your son. You dress your son exactly like you. And then <laughs> you stroke your son's face like all the time. And you like awkwardly roll in the grass together. Um, that part made me uncomfortable. And then you, um, you know, hallucinate your son's face and randomly start stroking other strangers, kids faces. That's totally normal i mean that's how you show affection right touching yeah that is again that is what i think john woo thinks how people (laughs) show affection um because this is also a motif that happens in face off very famously (laughs) um and you know the ever suffering wife character who he you know must abandon emotionally and then she must leave and this poor woman gets like the worst fitting outfits (laughs) <laughs> ever captured on camera and gets no lines doesn't even get to shoot a gun and you know just just gets to be the sad wife um, i mean the film definitely has like the bones of a b action movie and how excited do you think the writer was when he found out that he landed john woo as his director oh my right? god that must have been like christmas for him <laughs> this is this like by all accounts this film should probably not be like a theatrically released film, right? It's like a straight to streamer thing that yeah. my dad would probably watch for the holidays, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it was an interesting decision. <laughs> Guys, oh my God. The woman, the actress who plays the wife received a nomination for the Academy Award for Best Actress in 2004. What the fuck? I remember her. What uh, is she doing being the silent suffering wife in a John Woo movie? Well, Kind of like why Joel Kinnaman is in a John Woo movie, uh, I feel, because Joel Kinnaman is a known name. He's been fairly successful. Um, 
And if you were offered a John Woo film, would you say no? Well, as <laughs> if I was the main character who gets to shoot a bunch of guns, I, yeah. th- I think Joe Kinnaman probably had a great time. It, it might have been an easy paycheck for her. <laughs> no, you go get your bag. I mean, all she needed to do was just look sad and frustrated. I mean, yeah. all Joe Kinnaman really did was look sad for half the movie, well, too. He, was he had to maintain dad. his physique, though, you know. <laughs> I'm also just like, you know, but like you couldn't have gotten her some better pants. Well, costuming is not something that he's especially <laughs> known for, especially for women. Yeah. I, 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 I counter that again with Face Off and the amazing party scene where everyone's like in leather well like leather trench coats that was with probably a different production company <laughs> this yes, was the, the budget was probably yeah it's the the budget the costume budget came from ross for this <laughs> amazing yeah, yeah yeah so it, it I mean, did feel muted i mean another thing that this film was missing that you know face off had was like scene chewing scenes of villains and because yeah of the conceit of nobody talks, we didn't have that like unhinged Nick Cage scene, right? Yes, yeah. and let the, the and let's be real, the identity politics is not great. It's like mm-hmm. a Latino gang played by a bunch of people who may or may not be Latino mm-hmm. running around doing hood, you know, gang warfare. Um, so you know, if you think yeah. too hard about the politics, don't the vibes of a white man going on a killing spree on a bunch of brown folk doesn't really sit well in 2023 with with Kid Cudi as the ineffective detective who (laughs) I do not know why he is there Um, the the weirdest that was Kid Cudi that is what he's been doing Um, so yeah I guess I mean again like I would probably also say yes to a John Woo movie but well i mean kid cuddy did get to break out the double guns though the only he one does instance get of double, double gun guns, that's pretty cool but which like, was a pretty you know. hype moment in our theater for the three <laughs> yeah. of us it, it was not <laughs> you know i'm just sad it ended so soon yeah um, it's like as soon as we cheered it was like done i felt it was that was disappointing um yeah because the the problem with the lack of scene chewing villains you know like no big dialogue and stuff like that is then he further relies on visual uh villainizing and so of course he gives the lead bad guy a distinctive tattoo um (laughs) facial head tattoo um and so again i was just like really that's how you know um just he is named on his wanted poster as playa (laughs) or playa I don't know if it's playa, playa or beach. So playa is those. beach. <laughs> yes. I'm... Yeah. I I my guess if I'm gonna take a shot here with John Woo was thinking, I'm pretty sure it's playa. <laughs> um, you know, the big bad who, you know, has a drugs up his girlfriend with heroin and wears a Christmas robe to do his villain shit in he... his orb room. I wouldn't like to that to Robert Archer Lynn because that feels like a white man. Writing PLC character yeah. move. Yeah. Um and but he is a you know, he gives money to the children in the community. So, you yeah. know, every every baddie's got a silver lining. Um, I wish I was making some of this up, but I'm not. No. Um, no. but you know, it's there again, this is not a character movie. It's very it's 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 like broad strokes, it's melodrama. It is like you don't think of this like Greek theater. In yeah. the way, like the characters are broad and the situations and dynamics are big, yeah. and and you are there for the the pew pew. Yeah, I mean, if you think too hard about this film, everything falls apart, right? Like, no, how does this? Oh, like, everything falls how apart. does this? Yeah. Was he like electrician? How does he afford all these guns and bullets? How does he afford getting like private time to learn how to drift real good? He has a car. Yeah, he buys a car. I oh, see. Yeah. He's getting some disability or pension if he's like electrician, like probably some union. <laughs> Um, you know, it's what were my my big questions were also like, how does a regular detective get such a big office that really <laughs> like hung me up? Like Kid Cudi has a huge office. Why is Kid Cudi in his pajamas at the beginning of Christmas night <laughs> or Christmas Eve night? Because he needs Why to go is to he bed not early. Back up? <laughs> yeah, none of it made sense. Uh. One thing that I didn't necessarily expect of John Woo, but I expected of Joel Kinnaman was there was no backle nudity. Um, and I, I almost like 
in my mind, just think that maybe he offered and John Woo was like, no. It was like, no, no. no. So, you know, I kept making that joke because, again, Joe Kinnaman, as we know, loves to show his His, his his, butt. His, he loves to show everything as often yeah, he's, as he can. He's very fit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's like, I got it. Let's show it off. He he shows this, you know, the dingleberries and the, and the stick. And um, so I kept making this joke, you know, that like, we're going to see his penis. We're going to see his penis. Mm-hmm. So Raymond, my husband was like bracing to get some front yeah. full frontal nudity. <laughs> and then like after he's like, he didn't show his penis. Like so disappointed. I'm like, oh, I'm so yeah. sorry. Like I didn't, I didn't know for sure if he was, he just really likes to if you want to see it you can go on netflix it's altered carbon and it's right there i mean it's a jong woo film yeah which means the guns are the penises are the phalluses (laughs) yes oh also another unanswerable question is he brings a whole bag of equipment with him and then like drops it right after Mm -hmm. the first fight and just grabs the shotgun yeah did you bring the whole thing just for the shotgun well because in a jong woo world Guns never run out of bullets unless it's dramatically needed. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So he doesn't um, need all the equipment. He just has magic handguns that only run out of bullets when when drama happens. So so just for those who were curious and we said that there were no doves, um, we there was one bird. Um and I looked it up and I think the closest I could figure out was it's a love bird. It's uh, a, it's one of the small fam um, parrot family, um, and the uh, thing is, despite its name, a lovebird doesn't have to be paired up with another bird. They could be perfectly happy as your pet alone. Um, and so for me, I was like, well, that explains Joel Kinman's character. But um, <laughs> that might be giving John Woo a bit too much credit as far as symbolism. But he did focus on that bird for quite a while, so I'm- it <laughs> it gave me time to like remember what it looked like, and then like cross-reference it to pictures of parrots when I was, you know. I feel like the the subtext didn't go deeper than it's a lovebird. Which is fine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But um, at least I I think, you know, ornithologists or bird watchers are going to be like, that was not a (laughs) lovebird. Yeah. I Um, have an indecent proposal for (laughs) y'all. Okay. One day when we're free and we want to gallivant, will you guys go to all the LA locations of face off with me and take pictures with some double guns. Yeah. Yeah. Because (laughs) also doves, that means we need to rewatch it. Oh, a hundred percent. Yes. Yes. It's been, I I mean, look, I haven't seen it since actually it was out. So it's been decades. I mean, watching this film did make me want to go back to like classic Mm -hmm. John Wu Hong Kong films, like hard boiled and the better tomorrow. Like the ones where he goes real hard. Yeah, or even the Mission Impossible where he puts Tom Cruise on a cliff. Yeah. You know? I don't know. That one was a weird the, one, too. Yeah. It's not the best, but it still that. had, I don't know, it still had more drama, I think. Um, yeah, oh, I don't care about the drama. I just want to see better gunfights. No, what I meant by drama was like actual visual drama, like not emotional drama. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like Tom Cruise on a cliff is way more visually interesting than almost anything we saw. I mean, probably, but also I'd rather watch um, Chung Yun Fat do all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm not saying that that's the best film. I just think <laughs> I like it better than this. It does make yeah. me want to revisit his old Hong Kong stuff where he's like, you know, untethered by the rules of American studio notes. <sighs> um, you know, we watch this at Alamo and they always do a really great pre-show and they show the kind of trailers of the those old school 90s action flicks and just wild to see like a young Chow Yun Fat, young Tony Leung just going at it. And we all know Tony Leung can act out of his way out of a paper bag. <laughs> um, so again, like when you put like phenomenal acting talent that can just make sense of the absurdity of John Woo, it's to me that's <laughs> that is magic. Yeah. All right, so this brings us to the million-dollar question. Is Silent Night good pop? I mean, I think you could tell by my comments that, like, even if you're a diehard John Woo fan, and I think I was willing to give a little leeway, it still fell short to me. Um, Wasn't the worst thing I've seen. I enjoyed the company, but it wasn't actually good. Oh, no. 
I agree with that. I think it's not good, but I will say it is good pop because <laughs> it is so unintentionally funny. The unintentional comedy is so great that I think if this did have a bigger cultural footprint, we would be having a lot of fun on the internet. But alas, you know, some things don't hit that way, but I will know it is there and I will have fun referencing the orbs for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. Is it the next Christmas action classic? No, I don't think so. But did I have a good time watching it? Yes. But that's with the caveat that we all kind of knew that it wasn't going to be good going mm -hmm. in. We had hopes that it might be good, but we weren't like expecting it to be like a new action classic. So, yes. on, so with that said, I'd say for me, it was good pop because I had fun watching it. It was fun to laugh at all the things it was being totally serious about. Um and I'm sure the other people in our theater who weren't <laughs> laughing because they were taken very seriously were very annoyed with us. Yeah, but my mom would fine. be the person being like, why are you laughing? <laughs> um, yeah, because emphasis again, if you are going to watch this just because you're curious, watch it with someone. Because I can't see myself watching it at home alone and really enjoying it as much without being able to like nudge someone or like share yeah. those moments. If you're, and, if you're and hungry, give them a primer on John Woo if they are unfamiliar. I think that yes. is also right. the context is also very important. Yes, yes. And if you're hungry for John Woo at home on your own, there's plenty of good John Woo films available. Oh, yeah. Face Off, um, all, any of his Hong Hard Kong boiled, work. Yeah. Um, I I do hope that this this means that he is returning. Like, I do hope that this means that we do get more John Woo in the future because I do want to see him after, you know, he's, he's shaking out the rust with this film uh, and he's ready to come back with, like, you know, the new magnum opus. Because I know he is remaking The Killer with a, a female protagonist, which may or may uh -oh. not be a good thing. Uh-oh. Um, Can John Woo handle feminism? Well, we will see. <laughs> well, it will be interesting if he just makes the character female, but just hasn't changed anything about the character if he had written as male, which would also be an interesting thing. <laughs> what that might he misses. be the best we can hope for. Yeah, so <laughs> I would be very curious to see that for sure. Ooh, do they have a casting announcement yet? I don't know. Didn't see that, no. Me... Natalie Emmanuel. Okay, I can fuck with oh, that. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> she was yeah. Musende in Game of Thrones and is in part of the uh, Fast Saga. Yeah, she's the smart tech girl from the Fast Ramsey. Crew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yes. we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. So I like we'll her. See. Right. I like her. I don't know if the <laughs> chops are quite there to make sense of the John Woo. Like, my favorite formula is, like, put an Oscar winner in a John Woo movie. Yeah. Um. So, we'll, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Well, that'll do it for a discussion of Silent Night um, by John Woo. Um, Jess Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? You can send a coven of white doves out into the ether, a la John Woo, and they will find me. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Jessie Tweets. And I'm at Hanonymous everywhere. Yeah, you can find me at Marvin Yue. Um, you can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcast by going to podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, we'll be back next week uh, for our last regular episode of 2023, uh, where we'll go over the best pop of the year. Uh, but until then, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 